Welcome to Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything cinematic on the couch. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. Thanks very much for joining us this week. We are still on the couch. We are still <laughs> in lockdown. We are still going mad. <laughs> slowly, slowly mad. Have we got, well, is it one more week of lockdown? Is it two? I can't remember. Two. I, two I've, spent, I've spent like most of this year in lockdown. Yeah. As most people who work in film have. So It, do, it doesn't yeah. feel that different, does it? So I think we're just, this is the new normal for us. <laughs> <laughs> Effectively, yeah. Speaking of new normal. Right, okay. Because so we've got to talk about the big news of, because uh, we record this on a Thursday. Obviously, it goes out on a Friday. It's like the dirty little secret of how we do this. But... Uh, we got to talk about the big news of today because I woke up this morning to this news. I think it came out like uh, uh, midnight last night. This is the Wonder Woman story, Miss Perfer. Do you, yes. you want to write this one for us? So this is the big news that Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be shown in the US, and that is a big thing to note, mm. in the US, not only in, in cinemas, but also on streaming and download. So the interesting thing there is that obviously that is happening on Christmas Day in the US. A week earlier here in the UK, at present, we still only have it as a theatrical release. We do, which I think, as, as you said, that's going to have to change. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, having lived through the release of Tenets from the same studio, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they, they stuck to their guns on that one and... They've not. They've yet to say sorry. We got that one wrong. Even Christopher Nolan seems to have missed the point entirely on it because he, he keeps saying, "Oh, people are just talking about where it didn't make money. Nobody's talking about where it did." You think, "Yeah, Chris, you're rich, mate. That's all right for you to say. You're you're rich, you know. So maybe you focus on kind of the wrong side on this one. It kind of." you kind of have to worry about where people aren't spending money rather than where they are. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Like, I know that that when I went in to watch Tenet, um, I didn't particularly love the experience because it's it's a nerve-wracking one. And is it worth your risk? to go and see a movie like that at the moment? Probably not. Well, this is the thing as well, because you went to, you know, the deluxe, specialised, very careful press show. I went to, you know, first, I went to the first screening of the morning in a public show, and believe me, no, no, it is not. No. <laughs> I mean, really. But the thing with Wonder Woman 84 opening, you know, at present, December 16th in the UK, in cinemas, is first of all, we're coming out of lockdown on, is it the 4th of December? 2nd of December, supposedly. Second, right. So that's 14 days earlier. So 14 days before the release of Wonder Woman 84, we would come out of lockdown. Okay, so hypothetically, you know, you'll be able to go to a cinema. You know, you physically as a human entity will be able to get in a car and drive to the cinema and see this film. Whether or not the cinemas are open is a different question entirely because Cineworld, for instance, closed down until an undisclosed date in 2021. They couldn't reopen within two weeks if they wanted to because last time I checked, and I do mean checked with more than a few friends of mine directly, their, infra their staff infrastructure has been annihilated. They would have to restaff cinemas within a fortnight wow which seems unfeasible like yeah really i don't think you get away with it yeah i think unfortunately i don't want to say like this is the beginning of the end because i don't i don't i think that's a bit dramatic but i do think that there's you know what we're seeing and what we have seen in the film calendar is a hell of a lot of shifts and changes and although this yeah. what i feel this news from the states is is actually just a foresight as to what is going to roll out here mm. in the uk so, guys, I think the positives from this is that you will still get to see Wonder Woman 1984 when you want to get to see it. You just might not see it on any screen bigger than in your living room. But hey-ho, like that is the time that we're living in. Let's just get on with it and still see those great movies. Well, this is the thing, because on, you know, on the one end, there's this discussion of Wonder Woman and, and Warner Brothers adapting to the times and doing something vaguely forward-thinking, you know, unlike what they did with Tenet. However, across the street... Well, or, or, or down the other end of Theobald's Road, <laughs> to you and I. Yeah. Um, Universal have an entirely different angle on the future, and this is even more exciting, and this has not been talked about really this week, which is Universal signed a deal in the US. They signed a deal a long time ago now, like, I mean, it seems like a long time ago in COVID land, it was probably about a month ago, with AMC to uh, shorten the theatrical release window to VOD to a month. Yes. Now... They've signed a new deal this week, 
that actually beefs that up even further. They signed a deal with, with the chain Cinemark in the US. And the reason they signed these deals is because otherwise these chains will kick off and refuse to show their movies, which is fair game. You mm-hmm. know, they don't want to risk money from a Fast and Furious movie, of course. So, Universal's new policy. If a movie earns less than $50 million in its first two weekends, it can go to VOD. Yes. If it's earned more than $50 million, it can go to VOD after 31 days. So after four, after five weekends. So it's either two or three weekends or five weekends, depending on how much money it makes. Which means that for the very first time, a studio is tackling camcorded piracy head on and has finally given the general public, the general movie-going audiences, a reason to care about box office receipts. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? Do you remember the days when we would have to wait like six months before something came out on video or VHS? Or, yeah. Yeah, and like this, this oh, yeah. is such a game-changer. And you're right, Universal, 100% forward-thinking, listening to its audience, understanding what is needed, not just in this time, but actually setting the path for beyond as well, I think is a really positive move. I think so as well. Also, I don't think we're ever going to live in a universe in which a Fast and Furious movie makes less than 50 mil in its first few weeks. So <laughs> I think they're safe. Anyway, let's let's get on to something uh, that you can watch at home for the weekend, something on, on demand. Let's talk then about Patrick. Have you have you heard of this one? Have you, have you heard the details about this? I haven't, actually. So I'd be intrigued to find out about this um oh no i'm I'm looking at your face here we go Uh (laughs) uh-oh this is this is the first film from director from writer director tim melans who predominantly is known for directing episodes of peaky blinds i think he apparently directed the entire third season of peaky blinders i'm told it stars uh kevin jansen's from the movie revenge a couple of years ago if you remember that horror movie uh, but d- you might remember he was a bit of a buff, studly type, bit of a hunk. Oh no! Well, yeah. Now what? Well, <laughs> he's he's put fifty pounds on for this. Oh wow! Right? He's put fifty pounds, and he and he's gone full schlubby. He looks weirdly like Brian Cox, the Hannibal Lecter succession one, not the astronomer. Right. You know, that that Brian Cox. Is 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 that, is that is that fifty pounds? Is that dedication to his art, or is that lockdown? <laughs> That is, that is dedication to his art. Now, here he plays he plays the eponymous Patrick. Patrick is the handyman at a nudist camp, owned and run by his parents. When his father dies, he naturally becomes you know, the, the manager of the, of the nudist camp and has to deal with all the problems that come from all the residents. However, he decides to distract himself by going on something of an existential quest to search for his favourite yet missing hammer it is entirely in the foreign language your face says it all <laughs> there was that if anyone needs it's it's like in a cartoon like a tom and jerry cartoon or you know it's so like that the what kind of face yeah. that i just pulled <laughs> double take yeah. yeah record skip record skip yeah. is what you want yeah and yeah it's it's bonkers it's like whether you love it or hate it it's like nothing else you've ever seen it is a very quirky dramedy it's got this fascinating use of like playful visuals it's entirely it's a belgian film so it's entirely subtitled minus one element which is jermaine clement turning up as a rock star (laughs) in english like i said bonkers it is decidedly not for everyone but if you've got in basically jermaine clement being there kind of tells you who this is aimed at yeah which is the kind of person who finds his work funny and interesting if you if you're one of those people you're in good stead with this one yeah if you know if we're in a parallel universe and you'd be going to the multiplex on a saturday night this is something that would not make for a great date movie i mean for one thing it's set at a nudist camp so this movie literally switches its opening its opening gong for an opening dong literally i love that you know what? There's lots of people out there who are tuning into the new uh, series of Naked Attractions, so this might be right up there. It, it is back. Oh, yes. Oh, man. And I would say, just on that note, you definitely want to watch the first episode because there's a 23-year-old virgin called Brian who gets quite overwhelmed at the sights that he sees. <laughs> Oh, I can, I can absolutely imagine. So um, that's, that's out on demand uh, from uh, from today, from Friday the, the 20th. Uh, coming uh, to Amazon Prime, though, on the 25th, the first film that I've, I've really looked at this year and thought this is worthy Oscar bait. Uh, it's the latest effort from Alan Ball, who you might remember wrote uh, wrote and won an Oscar for American Beauty back in the day. Yep. Uh, created Six Feet Under, created the TV adaptation of True Blood, 
you know, pretty big name, Alan Ball. Um, this is his latest. It's set in the 70s. It stars Paul Bettany and Sophia Lillis, who you do know. Even if you don't know her name, you do know her because she was Child Bev in in the It series. You know uh, the one that we all looked at and thought, oh my God, it's young Amy Adams. Her. Yes. Okay, interesting. Right. She is, uh, she is Beth. She is an 18-year-old who goes to college in New York. She's getting out on her own for the first time. She comes from sort of the deep south. Her uncle, the eponymous Uncle Frank, played by Paul Bettany, is a lecturer at this at this college, and she starts to get to know him and spend some time with him. They've always had a, a you know a, a, an affection, a connection that transcends is is above the the lower the sort of lower tier economic spectrum, the lower the sort of dismissive intellectualism environment that she's come from, and she very quickly discovers that he's an out and proud gay man, and he's actually just kept this from the family homestead, and the pair have to go on a road trip together when the family patriarch, who's played by Stephen Root, so Paul Bettany's dad, effectively Sophia Lewis's granddad, passes away suddenly. They have to go on this road trip together, and all along the way, he undertakes something of another kind of a journey himself, as he has to reconcile how he, you know, how he's become this out proud gay man to basically the entire rest of the world, but has kept this one pocket of reality, you know, in the dark, and how he's going to have to come out to the family. You're going to be the person you decide to be, or you're going to be the person everyone else tells you are, because you get to choose. You do. I wish I wasn't named Betty. It's a lady name, I'm only 14. So change it. (laughs) I can't just change my name. Do anything you want. What about Liz? No. Liza. Betsy. (laughs) Uh, Maybe Beth? Yeah, I like Beth. And there are so many things that Beth can accomplish besides being a majorette. Now, I know you loved this film. You really had you had a lot of love for this, didn't you? I did. It's, it's one of those films, it's kind of like Green Book in mm. that way that you look at it and you think, well, this is really boilerplate. You know, the, the majority of it, you take it at face value, this is really quite boilerplate, you know, it's, you know... Two, two or three characters in a car going on a literal and emotional journey. and But it, at least it starts that way. And I would argue the third act really takes this in a much darker and more interesting direction than you would expect. Um, as you can hear from the clip, though, Paul Bettany is really bringing the charm here. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of this film that is hung on how charming Paul Bettany can be. And luckily, the man is just straight-up charming, son. He is exactly as charming an uncle as you would imagine he would be in reality. He's great. Um, There's a wonderful supporting cast, which includes Judy Greer, Steve Zahn, who I'm always happy to see in anything, Uh, Stephen Root, who, again, always happy to see in anything. He's absolutely terrific. Margot Martindale, Peter Desmarni. But it's all about Paul Bettany and Sophia Lillis. Both of them are absolutely terrific. And I think... Come award season, his performance at the very least will start getting a lot of recognition. Um, so it's going to streaming. I, I think it's probably the best place for it because it can find the widest possible audience during lockdown there as well. I cannot encourage you highly enough to check this out. About the only thing, I mean, other than that as well, it's quite a breezy film. It's about 90 minutes. Perfect. And it, there's a lot packed in, and yet somehow it feels really easy going, really free flowing, really, you know, quick, it, nicely paced. The only thing I'd say about it as well is, even though it's set in the 70s, and it's a really lavishly staged production by Alan Ball, who's you know also director as well as written, um, you could set this now. Yeah, it's because still of relevant. South yeah, you could set this now, and a lot of the attitudes, you wouldn't have to adjust in the slightest. It's absolutely Isn't that scary? Brilliant. Yeah. That's a very, very frightening thought that 50 years on, this is still, unfortunately, very timely. Uh, check this out, though. I cannot recommend it highly enough. This absolutely made my... After how much fun I had with Patrick as well, this, I thought, was just terrific as well. Uh, I will say as well, there was a movie out this week on, uh, on demand uh, called Asia, a mother-daughter movie from Israel. That's their submission for Best International Feature. Highly recommend checking that one out as well. Fantastic. Okay, well, there we go. Those are your big releases that are on demand and on Amazon Prime right now, Patrick and Uncle Frank. And when we come back with you guys, we're going to be bringing you more movies on TV. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you with movies on TV. So this is what is top on your telly box for the next seven days. This segment is all about the first start of your week for you, and we are kicking off with a brilliant film, uh, which actually was on TV not so long ago. It's coming back round again, and it's on Channel Four at 8:45 p.m. on Saturday. So it's kicking off your Saturday night. It is. The film you don't expect to play out in the way that it does. It is The Martian. Um, this is um, it's a Ridley Scott film, isn't it? It is. It's yeah. uh, written by Damon. It's adapted for the screen by Damon Lindelof as well, who was I think the uh, was a writer on on Lost, most famously, and took a lot ah, of heat from fans over the years. Uh, who I think is, is is perfectly fine. I mean, obviously, Alien Covenant, Prometheus, less so. But The Martian. This might be my fate. One of my favorite movies of the last decade. In fact, I think I did declare it one of the best movies of the past decade. I think this yeah. is great. It is great. So for anyone who doesn't know, The Martian is the story of an astronaut who, as part of a team, he gets stranded on Mars and <laughs> everyone thinks that he's dead, but he's actually alive and he's a botanist. And so he basically learns to live on Mars on his own by growing, you know, from whatever he's got left from um, like you know from the food that he has in his storage so potatoes and stuff to to grow his own supply until he gets rescued and then it's all about the kind of rescue mission of how they're going to get him back to earth it is one of those films that you think is going to be dead serious and turns out to be absolutely hilarious right let's do the math our service mission here was supposed to last 31 souls for redundancy they send 68 souls worth of food that's for six people so for just me that's going to last 300 souls which i figure i can stretch to 400 if i ration so i got to figure out a way to grow three years worth of food here on a planet where nothing grows luckily i'm a botanist Mars will come to fear my botany powers. Now, I'll be honest, in terms of things that I never expected any movie to ever accomplish, making botanists cool yeah. is definitely one of the most outlandish things you could come up with. I think this is an absolutely terrific movie. The book, which I have read, is, is uh, Andy Weir's book, is written in the first person, so it is told from Mark Watney's wow. perspective. But the book is noticeably more... Uh, it's got a lot more language in it, for one thing. I mean, there's, there's cursing things in the movie, obviously. But um, the, I think the movie is absolutely terrific. I think as an adaptation, it does a very good job. As a film in its own right, it's superb. It's the best thing Ridley Scott's knocked out in a long time. And that's before you get to how good the supporting cast is as well. Yeah, absolutely. But we have to say, look, Matt Damon in this, it, you know, it is oh, kind yeah. of a, the majority of this is a one man band performance and he does it so well. And he's very endearing. He's very likable. He's not self-pitying yeah. in this scenario. He just gets on with it and is like, this is what I'm going to do. And that's what I really like about it. Well, that's that's the thing. Like you say, though, that's what I like about it as well. I like the story of the Martian because the story it tells is uh, the mental health benefits of methodical problem solving, which I yeah. think is an absolutely brilliant thing. To Literally, I think he says at one point, you know, if you want to keep yourself sane and live through this, you work the problem. Yeah. You start at the beginning and you work the problem. And then when that's done, you move on to the next problem. And it doesn't sound like the most exciting narrative for a film. And yet it's absolutely fantastic. If, if it were down to me, this is the kind of role and the kind of performance that would win Oscars. Because I think yeah. it's a genuinely terrific turn. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And, you, and and again, you mentioned the supporting cast in it. I can't remember everyone on there, but there's there's some really good cast. Is it Jeff Daniels? Is um... Jeff Daniels is the head of NASA. Yeah. The head of PR is Kristen Wiig. This is, I think, the first time we saw her in a, what we'd call a straight role. Yeah. Sean Bean, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Michael Pena, Jessica Chastain, Kate Mara, uh, Axel Henney. It just goes on and on. And uh, uh, Mackenzie Davis. I think this was the first time yeah. we saw Mackenzie Davis in a big movie as well. Really great supporting cast. And you get to hear Sean Bean make a Lord of the Rings reference, which is worth the movie on its own. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, guys, definitely, if you didn't catch it a few months ago, it's back round again, this time on Channel 4, 8.45pm. The Martian is incredibly worth your time. It's come back round into orbit. Oh! I, I, so I was like... I, 
for anyone like one day we will get video on this and you will see these weird these weird movements between van and myself about which we're currently doing via facetime to make sure that we know when to come in and speak to you it does make me chuckle i have to say anyway let's move swiftly on to um i think a 1992 film which is out on sunday on itv at 1 35 p.m perfect timing for this it's one of my favorite films of all time death becomes her stars goldie horn the brilliant meryl streep and also bruce willis and it literally does what it says on the tin. You must make me a promise. The secret that we share must never become public. You may continue your career for 10 years, 10 years of perfect, unchanged beauty, but at the end of that time, before people become suspicious, you have to disappear from public view forever. You can retire, you can stage your own phony death, or... As one of my clients simply said, I want to be alone. <gasps> no, she's not. Wow. Terrific movie, this. Uh, Isabella Rossellini there, I think, as yes, the keeper yeah. of the serum of immortality that it turns out is less immortality and just anti-death. Uh, question for you, Bex. I, I, this is... This is on at like 1.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday. Would you not have assumed that this was a lot higher age rated than it is? Uh, it's, it's a PG, isn't it? It's a PG. I yeah. honestly would have thought this was a 15. Yeah, I know. And it's very much, this is not one you want to sit. To. Although I, I enjoyed this when I was very young. But I don't yeah, advise. I do well. Yeah, I don't necessarily advise unless you are a child of the nineties uh, to sit down and watch this as a young child because it's got some like very seductive moments in it. It's got some very mm. you know very um, I don't know. There's there's people like they fall downstairs. It look and like actually go out of joint. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, we, there's, there's significant gunshot wounds, broken necks, infidelity. There's a lot of sexiness to this, as much as there is, you know, horrific body effects that are, are, are dealt out in it. Um, for me as well, I think for when this was made, this was made during uh, Bruce Willis's uh, downswing, a downswing he had in the, at the beginning of the 90s, between Die Hard 1 and Die Hard 3, effectively. Bruce Willis's career was generally regarded as being fairly in the toilet. It's only the double header of Die Hard with a Vengeance of Pulp Fiction that kind of pulled him out of it. Nobody remembers Striking Distance, the 1993 Speedo action movie in which his uh, love interest was played by Sarah Jessica Parker, and life is probably better off for it. But uh, I, I, he's quite good in this as well. It's him trying out his comedy his comedy angle for the first time in, I think, a few years at that stage. Yeah, but It's a good, fun movie. It is, and you've got such amazing cast in that. So, like I said before, Goldie Horn. Meryl Streep and also Bruce Willis plus Isabella Rossellini is great as well the thing is is that this is this is again it's it's one of the 90s movies that is 90s through and through you wouldn't see this made in this way ever again if it was rebooted I don't think it would work and uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, which is a yes. thing that we all seem to forget as well. But uh, I, I, just, I think this fared slightly better than The Witches remake did recently. Let, let's oh, my goodness. Yeah, let's not, let, the less we talk about that, the better. Anyway, that is so worth your time. A Sunday afternoon chuckle to yourself. If you haven't watched it in a good 20 years, go and revisit it. If you've got nothing else to do, because we are in lockdown, this is your perfect afternoon for you. So there we go. Moving on to Monday, Van. Monday, one of my favourite comedies ever. It is 1999's Galaxy Quest, directed by future uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music director Dean Parasote, starring Tim Allen, back when he was tolerable as a person, uh, Alan Rickman, Sigourney Weaver, uh, Enrico Colin, Tony, just a hell of a cast in there. Uh, uh, one of the early uh, appearances as well for Sam Rockwell as Guy Fleekman. They are basically a thinly guised version of the original series Star Trek cast who are abducted by aliens who have mistakenly come under the impression that the TV show was an actual historical document and they need them to, to they need this this tr troop of actors to help them fight off a band of alien marauders here's Alan Rickman just giving it his best how did I come to this not again I played Richard III five curtain calls there were five curtain calls I was an actor once damn it now look at me look at me I can't go out there and I won't say that stupid line one more time I won't. Well, Alex, at least you had a part. Okay? You had a character people loved. I mean, my TV Guide interview was six paragraphs about my boobs and how they fit into my suit. 
Don't even bother to ask me what I do on the show. You had the... Wait, wait, I'll think of it. I repeated the computer, Fred. This for me, so I I grew up, like, I loved watching Spaceballs. I would watch that on repeat. Mm. And, and yeah. then you needed something else to kind of break it. So Galaxy Quest was kind of that sort of, that next step for you to watch. But it's it's brilliant. It's such a great film. It's effectively three amigos in space. Yeah. But it's <laughs> yeah. like six or seven of them. Without There's the move. so much going for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, a, there's an entire 90-minute documentary about the making of this movie and the legacy of it that's out now that's called uh, Never Give Up, Never Surrender, which is absolutely worth watching if you're a fan. And it does outline just how difficult it was to get this made. I think Ivan Reitman was making it for the longest... Oh, sorry, not Ivan Reitman. Harold Ramis was making this oh, for wow. the longest time. Egon. And actually, and Egon, yeah, and he actually quit over the casting of Tim Allen. He wanted Kevin Kline, which, okay, I can kind of see it. I, I can guess. see that. Well, yeah, you I... can see it. And the iterations of the casting are actually quite fascinating. Um, this, I think, is the first major role Justin Long ever had as well. And yet you watch it and you're like, it's the quintessential Justin, Justin Long. Justin Long. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is. Can't recommend this one. I love I think it's absolutely spectacular, Galaxy Quest. I can watch Galaxy Quest once a week for the rest of my life. I think it's genuinely terrific. Um, if you've never seen it, you've got to get this scene and you will wonder where this movie has been all your life. Well, the, 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 it, press that record button if you haven't, if you w- haven't seen it because you're going to want to watch it again and again. So it's on Monday uh, at, on Channel 5 at 11 p.m., perfect viewing it's a good kind of gentle start to the week for you i think in terms of what's on movies on tv we're going to be back in just a moment with more of these to continue off your week to make sure you guys have your seven day guide to everything movies Welcome back to Off Screen and welcome back to the sofa. Where else do we go these days? It's not like there's any other great social hangouts in my house. But uh, let's, uh, let's start Tuesday's cinematic offerings with a bang and let's take it off with a blaze of glory. It is one of the seminal cinematic works of pretty much the very beginning of the 1990s. This was a really big event. This was the Expendables of its day, this series. It was, of course, Young Guns, which started, it was either 86 or 88, um, with effectively the origin story of Billy the Kid and the Regulators, who were led by Billy the Kid, played by Emilio Estefes, and his, uh, his, his supporting cast included Lou Diamond Phillips, Kiefer Sutherland. I think in the first one, it was like Dermot Mulroney and... and Charlie Sheen. By the time you get to the second one, it becomes people like Charles Martin Smith and, uh, and most importantly, Christian Slater. Uh, the second movie is the more bombastic, slightly cartoonier blockbuster one. And it's the one that, as, as, as we just had the discussion before yeah. we came on, is the one that more people have seen, I think, than the first one. The first one plays it relatively straight. The second one goes, do you know what? Hell with it. We're doing an action movie. The second well, movie deals largely with um, the end of Billy the Kid's life, as far as we know, because the legend is a bit murky, and how he was taken down by his best friend at the time, uh, Pat Garrett, who became a deputised sheriff, and is played in the movie by... Do you remember who played him in the movie? No, I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm intrigued. This is all flooding back to me now. Oh, wait, no. William Peterson? It is William Peterson. Yes. It is Gil Grissom from CSI, back, yeah. when, back before the grey hair, back when he was in sort of Manhunter era. It is, in fact, William Peterson as Pat Garrett. But, of course, the movie hinges around the constant incarceration and escape, subsequent escape, by Billy the Kid every time the law seems to get near. It is therefore considered by the court here that said defendant, William H. Bonney, alias Kidd, alias William Antrim, alias Henry McCarty, be confined in prison in said Lincoln County by the sheriff of such county until on the day aforesaid he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, Dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> you can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> 
so I said to you, I went, oh, I think I've seen Young Guns. And you went, no, 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 you most likely, it's the Bon Jovi one. You will have seen the yeah. second one. And <laughs> I was like, bon you're right, one, yeah. you're right. I had a real thing for Emilio Estevez and also Christian Slater in this as well. I, I just, yeah. You're only, you're only human, Bex. I know, I mean, right? Yeah. I know, exactly. Um, this is like the Brat Pack in itself, like, of you know, for the early yeah. 90s, missing Tom Cruise, obviously. But it's like, you know, Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, Christian Slater. It is that, that era and that kind of um, that feeling of it and you know for any of us that were 90s kids you will remember this you will have seen this at least once you might not remember exactly how it plays out but even just by listening to that trailer just now I was like I get I, I remember that scene I remember where I was. And even even if you've uh, even if you've not seen it, you remember the song, and you probably remember the music video as well because it was just Bon Jovi as a cowboy. Yeah. Everyone always everyone always gets Blaze of Glory confused with Wanted, Dead or Alive because yeah. Bon Jovi did two kind of two, cowboy yeah, songs yeah, yeah. on on the Always album. Was it Always? Crossroads. Yeah. Crossroads. Crossroads. Yeah. A, God, seminal, a seminal album of the 90s, yeah. Seminal album, yeah. Track, yeah. track one, living on a prayer. Crack oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, brilliant. Okay, so that is a really good movie to kick off um, the, the start of your second block of your week. So that is on Sony Movies, 4.45pm. Definitely, definitely rewatch that one. It's um, it's such a treat. Um, moving on and moving forward in time. We, we, I know we love the 90s. We're going to move back to modern day a little bit. We're, we're moving into something that we're all going to be missing out of this year, which is obviously mm. the Office Christmas Party. Now, this is, um, this is a movie that was out in 2016, so relatively new. Um, it's got a whole action-packed uh, cast within it. Um, it's about an office party, a Christmas party celebration that just gets totally out of control after the branch manager throws a party to impress a client and retains his branch and his employees from his sister. Dad gave you a free pass your entire life and you're not getting one from me. The only way you're going to hit your targets this year is by cutting jobs. Hey, what if we landed the Data City account? (laughs) Data City? Walter Davis? That's right. You do know that he's already met with HP, Cisco and Oracle. Yeah, but he hasn't heard our pitch. No. Josh and I have been drilling into it for weeks. Yeah, months. Whole team. And we have a meeting with him this afternoon. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm on a flight to London tonight. So if by some miracle, you guys can close Walter Davis and his $14 million contract by the time I land in Heathrow, the jobs are safe. Done. And you'll see, you're going to look so stupid. Then we'll finally have something in common. You know, I, I, it says an awful lot about me that I'm never more attracted to Jennifer Aniston than I am when she's playing a nasty piece of work. But anyway, uh, that's beside the point. So um, Jason Bateman, TJ Miller, your doppelganger, of course, is the female lead in this, <laughs> Olivia Munn. Um, yeah, Kate McKinnon, Courtney B. Vance, uh, Randall Park. Pretty much everyone from SNL turns up in this movie. <laughs> it's a good time. It's effectively what happens if you d- take Project X and apply it to an office Christmas party. It is a barrel of laughs. There's also a pretty good role in there for uh, Gillian Bell from uh, Workaholic. She did another Christmas movie the same year when she starred in The Night Before, but played two very, very different roles in each. This is... It's one. It's a typical old school National Lampoon style madcap seasonal romp. If you're in it for a good hundred minute long, how much more extreme can it get kind of experience, look no further this is so, so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to just read you a review from Empire around the time that it came out because <laughs> this, this absolutely sums it up perfectly. It says, in a year of bad mums, bad Santas and bad neighbours, this is essentially bad employees. So another <laughs> another irresponsible adults comedy, another great cast and another erratic script. Catch it for McKinnon. And I think that sums it up really nicely. It is a barrel of laughs. If you love those kind of movies, particularly something like Bad Neighbours, this will be right up your street. So it's available for you on Film 4, 9pm on Wednesday. Definitely, again, worth your watch. Do you think it's... I think it's about the right time to start watching Christmas movies now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've been talking about it for a good week or so because... They have started dropping, particularly on Netflix. So, yeah, we're allowed to. Oh, yes. We've got two of those to discuss later as well. But uh, moving on to Thursday then. 
probably it's in my top three of all time. It is Joss Whedon's 2005 Serenity, which not to be confused with the awful Matthew McConaughey Anne Hathaway uh, movie that came out like two oh, years God, ago. Oh God, yeah. This is the feature film continuation of the uh, TV series Firefly. You don't especially need to have seen Firefly to get Serenity because it's a basic uh, fugitives on the run from the evil empire sci-fi western that stars Nathan Fillion one of my very favourite screen presences. He's just always a barrel of laughs as the uh, the, the renegade captain Malcolm Reynolds of a, a, a spaceship known as Serenity. It's a Firefly ship, hence the title. Effectively, it's the Han Solo movie. But it's an awful lot better than the Solo movie. As sure as I know anything, I know this. They will try again. Maybe on another world, maybe on this very ground swept clean. A year from now, ten, they'll swing back to the belief they can make people better. And I do not hold to that. So no more running. I aim to misbehave. Two things. Firstly, I quite enjoyed the solo movie. Secondly, um, don't even. And then secondly, I always remember this movie because of the poster... Um, the girl uh, is that, that's not Marina Baccarin, is it? The, 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 the no, Marina Baccarin. No, Marina Baccarin's the one from Deadpool who plays uh, Inara. Uh, the girl oh. you're thinking of is Summer Glau. Right, and she's holding like two like machetes, but she's doing this uh, pose. And I always used to think that that was Kate Beckinsale for some reason, but I just always used to get uh, that confused. Summer Glau was a ballerina who was discovered oh. by Joss Whedon during the filming of an episode of Angel <coughs> in about 2003 and then cast in Serenity as a result. And she wound up parlaying it into, after the cancellation of Firefly, into a role as the Terminator, in as the good Terminator in Sarah Connor Chronicles. She played a Terminator, very tellingly, named Cameron. And uh, very good role, very good nice. role. But uh, I think she's a very likeable actress, a lot of fun. Yeah, well, it looks good. I mean, I haven't seen Serenity. Um, you know, I, I think Stargate was kind of my my sort of like tipping point and I was like I'm done after that <laughs> what might what might actually get you to watch Serenity is knowing that the villain is rather brilliantly played by Chiwetel Ejiofor and he is of ruthless. course he had he had Serenity and Four Brothers out at the same time he was the villain in both and it was just a great year for villains back in 2005 so if you've never seen uh, Serenity I do recommend checking it out you will look at this film and go wow you could make this for 40 million that's astonishing do check it out because it will Ooh. make you mourn the loss of the mid-budget blockbuster. Um, and a hell, of a hell of a Thursday night flick anyway. So, how are we going to end the week then, Miss Perfect? Well, with one of the most, I suppose, underrated, but I really enjoyed and loved movies, which is Watchmen. Um, I remember being so excited when this came out at the cinema, loving it when I watched it, and then saw it completely panned, pretty much, um, by all the critics. Yes, I think it was Mark Kermode who famously wrote this off with a declaration of length does not equal insight or quality, uh, which is nonsense. I think it's an absolutely brilliant adaptation with only one differential from the comics, which is the ending. And the ending of the film, strangely, works better. It's set in an alternative timeline 1985 and I think the the divergent point in our history is meant to be the creation of an accidental creation of a superhero during the arms race in World War II that has created a super being whose existence causes a whole new arms race. Basically the the human race exists at one minute to midnight on the nuclear clock. A, A superhero known as the Comedian of Vigilante is murdered and the investigation into his murder by another vigilante played by uh, Jackie Earl Haley named Rorschach, who is then incarcerated, sets in motion a sequence of events that is going to change the world forever and give rise to a pretty brilliant HBO series. Hey, Rorschach. Hey, you're pretty famous, right? <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm pretty famous too. Ain't that right? That's right. You know, maybe I can give you an autograph, huh? What you say, big boy? None of you seem to understand. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. 
Jackie Earl Haley there brilliantly demonstrating what would happen if you locked a superhero up in a prison filled with the people he put there, which is just one of the great moments in this film. I actually, I think the film is genuinely brilliant. I mean, I'll write Zack Snyder off for a lot, but I really love this and I really love his Dawn of the Dead remake. Um, tremendous film. It's a bit on the long side, I think, in its, un- in its, or- its originally theatrically released form. It's about three hours and 18 yeah. minutes long or something like that. But there are versions of this that cross the four and a half hour mark. I think I've got every version of it on the shelf somewhere but uh, well worth checking out all-star cast includes Billy Crudup uh, Malin Ackerman Carlos Gugino Patrick Wilson just everyone's in there it's a really really great movie don't believe all the smack talk from the times because it was a comic book movie and of course the cardigan clan weren't on board with it but you know what it obviously had to have some clout because we now have an acclaimed sequel series that you know spawned out of it as well which actually is even better so make of that what you will and i think that's a pretty brilliant way to round out the week with that one yeah exactly and i'll definitely be re-watching it because i did remember really really enjoying this movie so i hope you guys do too so there you go that is all of your top movies on your telly box um we'll be back very shortly with what is available for you on dvd blu-ray and of course streaming Welcome back to Offscreen. We are, as always, keeping you on your couch, unfortunately. <laughs> as much as I'd love to say we've got more to take you to the cinema with, we don't. But what we do have a great DVD, Blu-ray and streaming releases for you. Kicking off with Eva Green in space, as Van just very kindly <laughs> noted to me <laughs> in a movie called... I mean, that's all you need to know, quite clearly. Uh, a movie called Proxima. Uh, I'm not too familiar with this movie, other than knowing that it is Eva Green in space. Anything else we need to add think- to that? <laughs> Did we? I think we reviewed this maybe three months ago or something like that, maybe thereabouts. But it is Ava Green is an astronaut training for training to go into space. She's also a single mum, and it is about how those two disparate elements have to line up and the toll that one takes on the other. Um, really good movie. I think she's tremendous in it. Very good supporting role as well for Matt Dillon, who I didn't even realise was still getting to be in movies. Uh, didn't get widely seen in cinemas, obviously. But I do think if you get the chance to, to check it out at home, it's, it's worth a watch. It's, it's got the visual side down pat. Um, probably slightly more mainstream, though, is Unhinged, which is mm. finally out on DVD and Blu-ray this week. Uh, sorry, let's, let's give it its proper title. The number one box office earning, Unhinged. <laughs> because, I, yeah. I was going to make a point about this. This is... You know, this is the movie that when we were all in the midst of the first lockdown and everyone was like very unsure as to what was safe and what wasn't, a few, Hmm. a a band of merry critics did rush to the centre of town to go and review this because, of course, Russell Crowe pre-Tenet was going to go and save the day. Yes, he did. And not only that, they actually issued T-shirts to people that went and saw this in cinemas that said that basically bragged about how they had seen Unhinged in a cinema. It's effectively a contemporarily pitched equivalent to Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Um, Russell Crowe is a man who has reached the end, a schlubby middle-aged man who's reached the end of his tether, has committed an unspeakable crime that I won't disclose, but it is literally the opening scene, um, and happens to get into an altercation in traffic with a single mum and her young son. And he then decides he's going to teach her a lesson, as he, as he outlines for her thusly. I don't have anything to apologise for, sir. Mom, it's okay, just apologise. Well, I don't think that's really true of any of us now, is it? But that's where we are in this world today. We seem to have developed a fundamental inability to apologise to anyone for anything. I don't even think you really know what a bad day is. But you're going to find out. That basically is downfall, apart from the fact that he hasn't had a particularly oh, bad down. day at work. Uh, sorry. Falling down, sorry. Yeah. Downfall's Hitler. Downfall's Hitler, although oh, I can see yeah. where you'd get some overlap. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, like <laughs> apart from like the, the glasses, the shirt and stuff, you know, it's not the really bad day at work. But I would say I want to watch Falling Down again, as opposed to maybe wanting to watch this. Falling Down is great. Um, this is a pretty good for a sort of disposable 90-minute sort of exploitation picture, which is what this is. It's pretty good. I mean, had I gone all the way to the middle of central London on the 31st of July, which incidentally was my birthday to see this, 
um, I would have been annoyed. I mean, largely because I would have spent about the same amount of time on a train as I would have actually watching it. But uh, you, you would feel slightly embarrassed if you contracted COVID, you know, for having watched Unhinged. It just doesn't seem worth it. The film itself, though, is a perfectly entertaining, schlocky 90-minute B picture. You know, I what, thought, what do you need from it? I thought you were going to say that when everyone got handed t- uh, T-shirts, it was something like, I may have caught COVID to go and see this or something. <laughs> That would would actually be, I would love a t-shirt that said, I risked COVID to see that. That would be an amazing t-shirt. I mean, it would date really quickly, but... Nostalgic purposes, it would work perfectly. (laughs) As as, as a memorial of 2020. You know, because this has been the longest year. Like, it doesn't even seem like Tiger King happened this year anymore. Wow, yeah. As a memorial of 2020. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of forgotten about that one, haven't we? We have indeed. Well, lest, not, lest we forget um, Unhinged and Proxima, but that is your DVD and Blu-ray offerings, uh, which are available for you on, um, on availability from Monday the 23rd of November. So we're going to move swiftly on to streaming now. And I, I love this because we're going to have some rootin' tootin' fun with some Dolly Parton Christmas on the square. Uh, she's coming to you live from Netflix. Do you know, that's actually not a bad Dolly Parton either, Bex. Um, Thanks very much. <laughs> oh. This is it. So, uh, was it Dolly Parton's Christmas in the Square, which coincidentally is uh, being made available the very same week that the story has been put into circulation about her funding the possible vaccine yes. for the coronavirus. Almost like she has a really, really good publicist. If you're not familiar with what this is, this is effectively a gender-swapped take on A Christmas Carol with Dolly Parton as uh, as the ghost, effectively. It, as the Scrooge, it's Christine Baranski from uh, Mamma Mia and what? The Good Fight. Exactly, right? So I'm kind of inclined to watch the hell out of this. This sounds yes. like my kind of thing. A Dolly Parton musical version of A Christmas Carol. Totally in, I'm in. Take my money, please. Yeah, take my money. I can't wait for that. That's That sounds hilariously bonkers. Um, and so Dolly, so Dolly, if we can't go to, what is it? Is it Dollyland? Um, wherever Dollywood, Dollywood. Dollywood, Dollywood. If we can't go to Dollywood, then we might as well watch her be the ghost of Christmas everything. Um, I think this is just exactly what you want. So again, that is available Sunday 22nd on Netflix. Um, yeah, definitely worth the watch there. Uh, moving swiftly on to the day that is my day of birth. Um, and I hope oh. that this is a good one. Um, Hillbilly Elegy, I'm not sure that it will be, um, is also available on Netflix as of Tuesday next week. Um, what's this This is about? Ron Howard's. This is Ron Howard's latest. It stars Glenn Close and Amy Adams, amongst others, and effectively oh. is a prestige picture set in, let's just say, the heartland of Trump's voting base. Yes. That kind of thing. I have Based seen... on... You've seen the trailer, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Sorry, go ahead. It's based on what? It, it's it's based on a book. I forget the author's name. The, the nut job, right wing conservative guy. It it is very much pitched to the alt right. It is mm. a, an Oscar contender for them. But the kind of people that will smash up the cinema when this doesn't get an awards nom, that that kind of thing. Um, I don't hear very good things about it. I'm not particularly inclined to watch it. I know Maria took care of the review for The Morning Star, which I'm very, very grateful for because I, I don't think I could shower enough afterwards. Um, but I will take it over to... Uh, next Wednesday, the 25th, a movie that I'm very much looking forward to. The sequel we all didn't know we needed. The sequel to Kurt Russell's Netflix Christmas romp, The Christmas Chronicles. It's The Christmas Chronicles Part 2, imaginatively enough. And the added value element of this sequel is, well, if Kurt Russell's Father Christmas, who do you get to play Mrs. Claus? Well, you go and get his actual wife, who it turns out is Goldie Horn. So Goldie Horn is turning up as Mrs. Claus, and uh, the, the the poster, by the way, is a masterpiece of, of Photoshop, you know, filter work. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm Why really not? looking forward to this. I think this will be super fun because you know what he he for me like it was a big surprise last year that this was so enjoyable as a movie and. You know, for anyone who loves Kurt Russell, you know this is this is what you wanna you wanna see him do. He's he's evolving into Santa Claus now. He's reached that 
time in his life where he can play this character. According to my, my dear friend John Dickinson, he's quite a sexy Santa as well. So there Well, is, it's not just John Dickinson that thinks that. It's not well, just John Dickinson. Exactly. <laughs> and, and finally, closing out the week, uh, next Friday the 27th, this was one of the buzziest films of the last two years, I would say. Yeah. Uh, this was Bradley Cooper's directorial debut from 2018 that, of course... Well, I mean, it had to be put forward for best original song, if nothing else. It is Bradley Cooper's remake, which I think is the fourth iteration of A Star Is Born, starring himself and Lady Gaga. This started out life as a Clint Eastwood project that was going to star Beyonce and then became a Bradley Cooper project that starred himself. And I think Bradley Cooper was going to star in the Eastwood version. Then Eastwood dropped out and Bradley Cooper wanted to direct something and Clint Eastwood sort of put him up to it. I think that's how the story goes. And then they, they searched far and wide for who could be their star. And they found Lady Gaga. And the result was... Far actually, and wide in Hollywood. <laughs> no, far and wide in Hollywood, yeah. And the, the result was actually kind of brilliant. Can I ask you a personal question? Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just, I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Well, because, like, almost every single person that I've come in contact with in the music industry has told me that my nose is too big and that I won't make it. Your nose is beautiful. Are you showing me your nose right now? Yeah. You don't have to show it to me. I've been looking at it all night. Oh, come on. Oh, I'm going to no, be thinking not. about your nose for a very you're long time. You're full of I'm not full of I'm telling you, you the truth. Yeah, you're full of Touch your nose. Oh, my gosh. Let me just touch <laughs> it for a second. Oh, I feel like I'm dying. I have to say, I loved this revisioning of A Star Is Born. Um, I know Lady Gaga got a hell of a lot of praise for this movie, but Bradley Cooper in this, his drawl was incredible. His mannerisms wow. were amazing. And, you know, he was he was heartbreaking to watch as well. So, look, that's available on Amazon Prime. Loads of you will have already seen this, but it's a great opportunity to give it another rewatch. A lovely way to round off a week again as well if, if Watchmen isn't particularly your cup of tea. So this is um, available on Amazon Prime. It's a good end to the show. We've got some great movies coming up next week as well, uh, which include Audrey, a documentary about Audrey Hepburn, and also P- uh, Possessor as well, which is uh, stuff that we're going to be chatting about next week, which I know you're excited about. Yeah, Cronenberg Jr. And I can I can tell you in advance, it's, it's very much up my alley. Well, there we go. So that's it. Uh, this week, off screen, we're not uh, fully immersed in the Christmas movies just yet, but give us time. Next week is a whole different festive ball game. So uh, stick with us, stay with us for another week or so, and uh, we will join you and be back again. Uh, but for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return.